Hello, chefs. This is Chef's PSA Podcast. I'm your host, Andre Natera. On today's episode, we're going to be going over going from a sous chef to an executive chef. Stay tuned. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So first, let me give you a brief update. I'm going to be doing a dinner on June 26th in Dallas, Texas with chefs Anastasia Quinones from Jose Restaurant, Philip Spear from Commodore here in Austin, Texas. That's where I'm recording. Um, Chef Rick Lopez from La Condesa, also here in Austin. And the four of us are getting together some of Texas finest. So we're all excited to be cooking at Jose Restaurant. So if you happen to be in Dallas, you're not going to want to miss this dinner. Make sure that you go and buy tickets. There's a link in my bio on Chef's PSA Instagram page. You could also follow the Texas Food and Wine Alliance. And there's a link also in their bio. So if you're in Dallas and you want to have some good food, we're going to be celebrating Mexican cuisine. I'm on the hot seafood course. I got to remember how to cook. I've been retired for a bit, but I think I'll be fine. So make sure that you are there. And if you want to do a Chef's PSA meetup and you want to smoke a cigar, and maybe we could have Cigar Sunday while I'm in Dallas, maybe we could organize that. I think it'd be fun. Anyway, I also just released the Restaurant Opening Guide Critical Path Companion to the Podcast Two-Part Series. If you like that series, you'll like this companion. So for people that um, are thinking about opening up a restaurant, there's a lot that goes into it. I think it's a it's a bigger process than I think people realize. It's not just, I have some money, let me open up a restaurant, or I have an idea, let me open up a restaurant. So this critical path is basically, I took all the information from the two podcast episodes and combined them into uh, a critical path document, which a critical path, for those of you that don't know, is a step-by-step how to go from point A to Z and every step in between. Obviously, there's things that I didn't include, but it's free. If you have no starting point, this is a great frame of reference. Listen to the two podcasts and get the critical path. If you have any idea brewing in the back of your mind that you want to open up a restaurant, that's something that you probably want to do. The last thing I've been up to probably doesn't really matter for you all, but I've been redoing my website and I've probably been working on it for about two weeks. At least I've probably been talking about it for two weeks and I'm fucking done. I'm so frustrated with it, but, uh, I think it looks good. I was finally done with it. And then it's on a uh, staging site. So all I got to do is hit go and then it goes and then the whole thing crashed. So I've been working on it for two weeks, probably about 30 to 40 hours staring at a computer screen, trying to build this website. And then it just crashed. And I think I may have lost anything. So anyway, I'm a little frustrated, right? That, that all happened like an hour before I started recording this podcast. So 
I was hoping I'd be announcing my new website. There's no new website. There might be. I don't know. Check tomorrow. We'll see. How, we'll see if I can recover this. Anyway, these are some of the challenges when you work alone. So a lot of people don't know this, but I, I work alone. There's no one else on the Chef's PSA team but me. It's it's just me. So the podcast, the editor, the video editor, the person that makes the cartoons, the memes, the posts, the writer, the the editor, the graphic designer, the person that answers the DMs, that's all me. There is no other person. So every day I'm learning something new, which is fun, but sometimes it can be frustrating. So this ties into today's podcast. What I was telling someone the other day is that sometimes when things are on easy street, when you've been doing something for a long time, like for me, be, running a kitchen is easy street. I could go into a kitchen. I know exactly what to do. I did an event this past weekend. I wasn't one of the featured chefs, but I was part of the organization of the event. And I jumped in and I was helping with some of the cooking and the organization. And like the chef kicked in right away. I was working with some students from Escoffier and the old chef kicked in. I was like, they were all buttoned up. Um, anyway, it's easy for me to be a chef. Because I could do that without thinking, but sometimes it's much more difficult to do something that you don't do every day. For example, building a website. What I do right now with Chef PSA, besides talking about chef things, every day I'm working on something usually that I don't know how to do. And I don't have an assistant. So when I joke around and say, I'm going to fire my assistant, there is no assistant. So it's usually me that I'm going to go get mad at myself. And what I find interesting about this process is because everything that I'm doing is new, every day I'm in a constant state of learning. Now, I'm going to do a podcast mini episode on YouTube about my morning routine because someone was asking me about it, if I could expand upon it. And for those of you that don't know, I have like an OCD three-hour morning routine. I'm going to expand upon it. I've already recorded the video. I just got to do some edits, but that'll be on YouTube. But everything that I do, point being, everything that I do is designed for learning and growth and improvement. There's a quote that I like, and that is, when growth stops, decay begins. That's an interesting quote, because we're going to talk right now about going from sous chef to executive chef. Now, I could tell you that I've helped a lot of chefs go from sous chef to executive chef. I was, I was doing the math the other day, and I think something like I've had 50 people that have worked under me that have gone from sous chef to executive chef. I was counting in my career. Now, granted, aside from my youthful appearance, I've had a long career. You know, I've been an executive chef, I think, since 2004. So almost, you know, if I was still an executive chef, that would be about 20 years of head chef experience. Now, let's not get caught up on the term executive chef because we're calling this episode going from sous chef to executive chef. Sometimes I get these DMs like, that's not a real executive chef. You mean chef de cuisine? I mean the head chef going from sous chef to head chef, but we're going to call it executive chef right now because I, I think a lot of people understand that term. In a lot of places, sometimes the chef de cuisine reports up to the executive chef or the chef de cuisine reports up to the chef owner, and I understand that. But for the sake of context, this is what we're talking about. So some of the topics that I want to cover today are when are you ready to go from sous chef to executive chef? How do you know when you're ready? What are some of those things that you need to expect when you get into that position? What is completely different for you when you become the head chef? What are some of the bigger shocking things that you'll discover as a head chef and things that like a peek behind the curtain that a lot of people don't know? And how will you view the kitchen differently now that you're an executive chef versus before when you were a sous chef? So let's start with the first point. How will you know when you're ready? The fact of the matter is sometimes you're not going to be ready. There's a couple of different ways that people get their first executive chef job. Sometimes you're clearly ready. Everyone knows it. 
the opportunity presents itself and someone taps you on the shoulder and says, I think you should apply for this job. It's yours. It's given to you. So a lot of times you're ready just because maybe you're punching below your weight. You've been a rock star. Maybe you're outshining your current head chef. And that happens a lot. Sometimes there's a really fantastic sous chef or executive sous chef that is doing the work of the person above them. And everyone recognizes it. Sometimes this is when you have a troubled head chef that maybe has a problem or doesn't show up to work often. There's basically checked out and winding down their career. And the executive sous chef or the sous chef is just hungry and ready. And everyone knows it and they get the job. That's one way to know that you're ready. Another way, and this, this happens very frequently, you're a sous chef in a restaurant, the chef leaves, last person standing, you're promoted. Are you ready? Doesn't fucking matter. There's no one else. No one's applying and the restaurant has to stay open and the ship has to keep going that way. And when that happens, you just get thrown in the position you got to figure out, sink or swim. It doesn't necessarily set you up for success. A lot of owners are notorious for doing this, just promoting people because they're the only people available. And a lot of times, you know, ownership will be like, well, I'll just step in and cover the areas where they may have some weaknesses. This isn't necessarily the best thing because you want to grow in your position with a little bit of a safety net. There's a greater risk in going into an executive chef or a head chef position like this because the chance of failure is pretty high. But if you succeed, you're a rock star because everyone's like, against all odds, they did it. And then another way is just sometimes you just go for it, right? You might not be ready, but it's like, let's, let's just jump in and figure it out. And maybe you apply for the job and you get it. I'll tell you a funny story. When I was really young, I don't know, it's like my first my first or second cooking job. I had to be my, my third cooking job. I was working at a place and I told my uh, executive chef at the time, I said, hey, I got a job as an executive chef. And I did. So I went to this country club where one of my friends was working and they got me a job as the head chef. Now, the head chef there, there was only two employees. It would have been me and my friend and I had more experience and a culinary degree and he did it. And so I would have gone in and been the executive chef. I think I was, I don't even think I was old enough to drink. I think it was like, maybe 18 or 19. And the menu consisted of like hot dogs and chicken tenders and maybe like frozen hamburgers and club sandwiches and things like that. It was for a golf course at a country club, the little food shack that they had. And they needed a chef and I would have been called the executive chef. So I went to my chef and I told him that I was going to be an executive chef. And I remember the conversations like, oh, you're going to be an executive chef. And he's walking me through the process. Like, how much are they going to pay you? And I was super proud. I was like, they're going to pay me seven bucks an hour, $7 an hour to be the executive chef. Again, this is a while back. Thank God my chef talked me out of it and said, look, you might think you're the executive chef, but you're really not an executive chef. Like there's different levels to this game. And that's like, that's not it. This is basically what, what he said. And that's what I would tell a lot of people. Like, yes, the, someone asked me, what's the fastest way to become an executive chef? Buy a restaurant and promote yourself. Like you don't, you don't need anything. Nothing's stopping you from becoming an executive chef. Buy the restaurant, promote yourself. It doesn't mean you're going to be a good executive chef. So being in that role of sous chef, the longer you're in that role and have a good mentor and someone guiding you. And, and you know, when I say a good mentor, I mean a good mentor. I don't mean someone that's you know, dangling a carrot and say, oh, you're not ready yet. You got to do this. And then you do that. Oh, you're still not ready yet. You got to do that. I'm not talking about that type of mentor. I'm talking about someone that's really trying to develop you so that you could become an executive chef. They should be the person helping you get that first position. 
maybe it's a succession plan where they're preparing you to replace them, or maybe they're helping you grow into a position within the brand or another company or a chef friend that they know. Either way, someone should be shaping your career and you should have that guidance because having an executive chef as a mentor before you become executive chef, it's it's worth its weight in gold because when you get in the job, and we'll get into this, there's going to be a lot of things that you don't know. It's the unknown unknown. You know what you know, but then you get there and it's like, oh, I didn't know they dealt with this. Like, how, how, do, I, how do I figure that shit out? So let's talk about what to expect when you finally become the executive chef. I think the biggest thing that a lot of people realize is when you become the executive chef, you think that you're going to have this complete autonomy over everything, and it's not true. You become the executive chef, unless you're the chef owner, there's usually someone that's still your boss. And there's usually someone still involved in what you're doing and having an opinion. And depending on your relationship with them, that opinion might be more than you're ready to deal with. It might be the restaurant owner that fancies themselves a chef and tells you how to cook. It might be a GM somewhere that wants to dictate what's on the menu. You never know. But unless you're the owner, you probably still have a boss. And if you're in a bigger operation, there's a lot more people, When you, what you discover, that there's a lot of people that have opinions about what you're doing. And when you're a sous chef, sometimes you look up and say, I would just do this and I would just do that. It's not so easy when you get up there, when you realize you go sit in a room and there's a table of 10 people that are all stakeholders in the restaurant. It's no longer just you. Yes, you're the face. Yes, you're the one driving the operation, but maybe there's a sales director. Maybe there's a marketing team. There's ownership. There's investors. There's a lot of different people that are involved with the decisions of the, the kitchen and the restaurant that you're running that sometimes you got to just say like, oh shit, you thought you were going to have carte blanche and then you realize you don't. So I think that's a big shock that a lot of new chefs realize when they get in. Another big shock that I don't think people fully think about is that you have a co-responsibility with every single person on your team. Meaning if someone makes a mistake, they made a mistake, you made a mistake. Someone burnt a steak, they burnt the steak, you burnt the steak, even if you have nothing to do with it, because you have to answer for every little bad thing that happens. You're constantly dealing with problems. Like when you walk in, like I remember when I was a chef, I'd walk in, it was like, problem, say hi to someone, what's the problem, what's the problem, what's the problem? And I would go through most of my day, it's never, um, it's never the fun stuff why people want to talk to you. And, and I'm not saying that doesn't exist. But the majority of the time when someone wants to talk to you, it's because you got to solve this issue. How are we going to deal with this? And so you're, you're constant mitigation mode, constantly figure this out, figure that out, which means you have to be super sharp mentally and you have to have a high stress tolerance level. Now, a lot of people like this kind of used to annoy me, like, because I used to do the same thing. I would look at my chef and say, that looks easy. What does he do all day? He just talks to people or he's just dealing with this. It looks easy. Um, and, and until you're in the position and it's like, oh shit, you know how draining it is to be in the office fighting with someone or convincing someone not to quit or listening to someone tell you why they need a raise and you having to explain to them that there's no money or dealing with an owner that's upset because food cost isn't in line. Like your whole day is that. And everything that you're going up against, sometimes it's just an argument and you're butting heads against everyone that you go. And I think that's, that's kind of like one of the biggest shocks that I think people are are not prepared for is the amount of problems that you have to deal with on a daily basis. And like I said, that ownership of anything that happens when you're a sous chef, not all sous chefs do this, but a lot of sous chefs do like what went wrong. They did it. So-and-so did it. And they're quick to 
point the blame. But when you're the executive chef, it's like, what went wrong? And then if you say so-and-so did it, it's like, well, then fire them. Because if you don't, then you're the problem. You get paid to know. You get paid to deal with the difficult things. So you got to be very careful about passing the blame when you're in the head chef position. You know, there's that whole um, notion of extreme ownership. Fish stinks from the head. When something happens, you have to own it completely. Another thing that I think is shocking to people is the financials. Like a lot of people get really nervous when you go from sous chef to executive chef. You think it's all about the financials. And a large part is maybe you're checking in invoices, you're auditing them, you're on the phone with vendors, you're looking for the best price, you're checking your food cost daily. And I would say it's very important. It's important to stay on top of it, but it's not the most important thing because it's not as difficult as I think people make it out to be. Unless you're really struggling with math, it's basic math, cost divided by sales, plus this, minus that. It's basically food and labor costs. The formula doesn't change. There's productivity formulas. There's food cost. There's labor cost. There's miscellaneous expenses. Outside of that, it's it's not really too difficult. As long as you know how to work a basic Excel spreadsheet, you should be okay. And with chat GPT, you should be able to build um, Excel spreadsheets relatively easy. If I could do it, you could do it. So food cost is important, but really where you're going to manage food cost is it's not from the computer. It's not from the desk. That's just looking at big numbers where you're really going to manage food cost is in the kitchen is by being aware of what's going out and having good practices in kitchen culture. So I think a lot of chefs get that wrong initially when they first start as an executive chef, as they think fixing all the problems happens in front of the computer. When that's the first, furthest thing from the truth, fixing all the problems actually happens in the operation is going in there and seeing what's happening and then making small adjustments and seeing what impact those things make. When I first got my executive chef role, my former executive chef was still in the building. So he got promoted up and then he brought me up. So I was in my first chef job with training wheels. And I remember him telling me, because I went in and I wanted to be a hot shot and be like, I'm going to cut food cost. I'm going to be like a star. And he pulled me off to the side and said, be careful cutting food costs so low because eventually you're going to give everything and they're still going to ask for more. You cut it to 20%, they're going to want 19. You give them 19, they're going to want 18 and so on and so forth. They're always going to want it to go lower. So if you give them that, they're going to ask for it. And then you're going to have nothing to give because you've shown all your cards. And he said, no one remembers, and I'll remember this. So this is, this is like an important lesson. So if there's one thing that you take from this podcast, it's what I'm about to say next. Every great chef out there, that's a household name. The Kellers, the Bocuse, the Escoffier, Fran Adria, Rene Redzepi. All those chefs that you know their name, you don't know their name because they have good food cost. You know their name because of the food that they create. And I think that sometimes gets lost on people is that they think it's about the finances. And I'm not saying that it's not because if, you, if you're not running a good business, your business is going to close. But if you're not serving great food, they're not even going to come back. So understanding, create a great product with shrewd business acumen so it's profitable, right? But at the end of the day, it's about creating great products. That, that would be one of the most important things I would tell you when you first get your head chef position. What are some of the biggest shocks that I think people don't realize about the head chef? And we talked about, you know, you're not fully in control, even though you, people think that you are. I think a lot of people, you know, we're talking about finances. I think when you're a sous chef, everything's easy. Just buy this, spend the money. But when you become the executive chef, you also become a little bit more 
business savvy. And every decision that you make now is for the better of the restaurant and not necessarily for the betterment of the dish or the one individual person on the team. So every decision you make as a chef might not make sense to an individual, but it does make sense for the success of the entire restaurant. And that might be ownership, financial, customer experience, or good for the entire team. So there's your decision-making process starts to evolve. You see the bigger picture, you understand the bigger picture a little bit more. And things that you wouldn't have done when you were a sous chef, you might, the light bulb may go off and say, ah, now I understand why chef didn't allow me to do that. Things change up a little bit. Here's another big shock. Your culinary skills get rusty. And I think that's like one of those things that like people don't realize that if you're not in the kitchen every day and a lot of chefs, they are, but a lot of chefs aren't, you know, you get caught up in meetings, you're doing paperwork, you're doing the ordering, and maybe you just cook just a little bit or you're on the past running expo. And you'll start to notice that what you used to be able to do on the line and you haven't worked the line for quite some time, like you go back, you still know what you're doing, but you're not as fast as your best line cook. Like you, you want your best grill guy on the grill. You don't want to replace them usually. And I'll tell you a story. I was uh, actually, I told the story on my cigar Sunday the other day. Someone asked me what's a, what's something like peek behind the curtain that a lot of people don't know. It's like, well, usually the best cook in the kitchen isn't always your executive chef because they are rusty. So sometimes it's the number two that's usually the driving force in a lot of kitchens. It's usually the chef de cuisine or the uh, exec sous or the sous that might be pushing things forward. Sometimes the executive chef or the head chef is shaping the direction that things need to go, but, but the person that's implementing and executing is usually the number two. So I think that's a peek behind the curtain. But I did a dinner with a big name chef, I won't say who, and uh, we, were, we were doing everything in tandem and this is, a, this is a big name chef. And he calls me over and he says, where'd you get the fish from? Because I was in, in charge of making sure that everything was set and ready. And I said, uh, why? And I'm like nervous, like, fuck, did I, did I fuck up the fish? And I said, we got it from here and this, that, and the others are like, okay, great. And then he walks away and then he goes on stage and he explains the fish course. So I was like, oh shit. He just didn't know where the fish was from because he hasn't, he didn't touch all the food that he's here to touch right and i've done the same i've gone to events where you know i bring my team and they're handling most of it and then i like they're like what is this and i like whisper my my number two zero is like well, where where did that come from again because they've done they've done all the ordering and the planning and everything i like kind of give them the big ideas like hey, i'm kind of thinking this and then they go make sure i look good in front of camera so that happens a lot is like your executive chef sometimes is just showing up to to close the deal right they're the they're the closing pitcher in the game. Sometimes the executive chef. I was, uh, I was doing a TV show and I was being interviewed on TV and someone had prepared pasta. So I was making pasta for, for TV. And we had a standard pasta recipe. And I said, this many eggs, here's the flour, this, that, and the other. So boom, when I go on TV, I'm going to make the pasta dough. It's the way we've always done it. And so I go on TV and I'm making the pasta dough and someone else prepped this for me because I delegated out the prep. I was like, just get everything ready, put it in bowls, whatever, whatever. And then when the camera crew gets here, I'm just going to get there, do my demo, talk about the pasta and go on. So while I'm making the pasta, I realized mid demo that the recipe's wrong. And so I like distract them with whatever. And I'm like, okay, through the magic of TV, here's the finished dough. And then we roll it out, whatever. So then afterwards I go up to my sous chef and I'm like, did you, 
what was up with the recipe? And they're like, oh, I changed it. I gave you a different one. I think this one's better. And I'm like, I'm on TV explaining what we're making. And I think it's this recipe. And when it's not working and I don't know why, and then you find out the, the, the sous chef changed it. Uh, anyway, that was a frustrating moment for me. I don't remember how it ended, but that illustrates the point. A lot of times the chef is coming in and just kind of putting the finishing touches on things. They might not be as involved in the preparation. Anyway, those are some things to look out for when you become a new executive chef. Sometimes it's lonely at the top. Your jokes are a little bit funnier. You're a little bit smarter. Your food tastes a little bit better. Everyone's your friend until you're not the chef anymore. So you got to be wise a little bit and understand that sometimes it's a relationship of convenience. When you're the executive chef, you have to be much more vigilant. You have to watch everyone much more carefully because usually people that are buttering up to you have not always, but a lot of times they have ulterior motives. It's usually what's in their best interest. It's lonely being the chef. Sometimes I was joking with one of my friends about this. They said, you know, when you're the chef and you walk in and everyone gets quiet, you know, they're talking shit about you, but like what, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a very, you bump into those awkward moments all the time. And so hopefully you have a good number two, you know, the sous chef or the exec sous or the chef de cuisine that you could be your confidant, but you need to have someone because it does get lonely at the top. There's a certain element of danger when you're in a bar and you're about to get in a fight and the person that you might get into a fight is way bigger than you. And you start to think, maybe I shouldn't mouth off to this person because the consequences are big. If I mouth off, they might beat the shit out of me in the bar, right? The same thing applies as the executive chef. There's a certain line that can be crossed where you could, you could push them. The worst that they're going to do to you is usually quit. The worst that you could do to them is fire them. So the consequences a lot of times are more great on their end. And because of these consequences, what ends up happening is people are afraid to sometimes be honest with you. So you need to make sure, you know, this is my advice. You need to make sure when you become the chef that you do have a couple of people that can push back on you and tell you the way it is. Because if you, if you surround yourself with a bunch of people that are just gonna always tell you what you wanna hear, that's a dangerous game to play because you will not know when people are withholding information from you that it's gonna eventually hurt you in the long run. So anyway, those are a lot of things to think about when you go from sous chef to executive chef. If I didn't answer a specific question that you had on this, if you're watching this on YouTube, feel free to comment. If you follow me on Instagram, feel free to send a DM and I'll gladly answer it if there's something that I missed or didn't cover. If you wanna support the show, go get the books. Bad Sue, Good Chef is the new book that I just wrote. It's a conversation, a lot like this one, two-way street though, on a new chef that has a lot of questions on how to be a successful sous chef. So a lot of people ask me, what do I need to do to be a good sous chef? This is the book that you want. Get the Kitchen Art of War, Culinary Leadership Fundamentals. Those are the three books in the leadership series. For cooks, get the Line Cook Survival Manual and How Not to Be the Biggest Idiot in the Kitchen. Go get some merch. Hopefully I'll have a new website, chefspsa.com, updated version of it. Thank you so much. Make sure you leave five stars. If you're watching on YouTube, hit the thumbs up button, hit the porno music. See you next week.